Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. And without further ado, here is Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. What a beautiful fall. This is just really a normal, good-looking fall. I mean, I love watching the beets come out, the grain's pretty much harvested, corn's being chopped now. I mean, it's just a beautiful time of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So today I'm taking a story out of Tales of the Mountain Man. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, so... You know, I've always admired the trappers, the mountain men. They were courageous. They were courageous, and they were smart. They had a skill. Uh, if <laughs> Put it this way. Some trappers, if they didn't have very much skill, probably went back home. If they could find home. If they could find home. Yeah, they might you know, still that, be that's out something there. something. I asked you one program, and I don't mean to take a lot of time, but directions. Exactly. How in the world did they know? Sure, north, south, east, west, but there's a lot of room in between. Exactly. And they knew the ridges. They knew the valleys, the canyons. They, they just, because they'd been around it. Yeah. So, but again, I want to talk about the trappers and his skill. You know, uh, he had to know the habits of beaver uh, to recognize the sign of beaver to yeah. know where to go yeah. and decide the right places, set his traps. So, a lot of times, a brigade making a hunt broke up into small parties, which normally worked by themselves for several days at a time. Then they split up into twos and maybe threes for the actual trapping. They worked the streams, mostly in mountain meadows or or similar flats where the streams were slow enough to be dammed. And we know, Zeb, they actually uh, did trapping right down here on the Snake River. Really? And some of the streams and uh, creeks that are around this area. Now, you said they broke into groups, uh, like right. twos and threes. Right. Were they, and some of the movies, I think, portray uh, kind of a misnomer that they were kind of separate and off by well, themselves. and then they did, yes. That's it. That is true. Okay. So, uh so what happened is uh, late in the afternoon between sunset and dark was the usual time to set traps. And according to Osborne Russell, who was a, a mountain man, he said in some secrecy, he said it was not good policy for a trapper to let too many know where he intended to set his traps. So they did go off by themselves because they kind of knew what streams to work and where and you know, they didn't want a bunch of other guys coming in where they were uh, getting beaver. Were there a lot of problems in the Old West uh, with the trappers of other trappers stealing? 
No, I don't think stealing, but I think they maybe kind of watched and thought, okay, he's heading in that direction. Maybe I'll go in that direction too. Oh, you know, maybe I go see. upstream or yeah. whatever. But, uh, you know, he hunted beaver. He read the country. He recorded his route. He watched for hostiles and he basically planned for all kinds of possible problems. Your he, phone's he was going smart. off. How can you tell? <laughs> I can feel the table vibrating. <laughs> Uh, we'll keep going here. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to answer it. Okay. But, you know, now let's talk about the beaver. The beaver built his house, small branches with uh, five-inch plastering of mud for the roof and the outer walls on the edge of the pool his dam uh, had created. It was about six feet high and twice as uh, wide. In the middle of the earth floor was a pool. And uh, there were, in fact, two pools, and there were exits of the tunnels, which had been dug down through the earth, to the stream bed uh, above the dam. Now, before the Indians learned to use traps, they were accustomed to hunt by blocking these tunnels. There were two escape tunnels Mm -hmm. that the beaver had. But uh, they learned how to, the Indians learned how to block those escape uh, tunnels, and then they just chopped down through the roof of the house and get the beaver. Really? Yeah. So now the white man, he set his traps in the natural runway of the beaver. You know, he would see like pathways where the beaver would go in and out of the water. And so he would set his uh, traps down where they went in and out. And that was when he expected to take the beaver. And mostly, however, he baited the traps and set them in places favorable for attracting the beaver and for drowning him when caught. That's what happened is the beaver drowned. What did they use for bait? I'm going to talk about that. I figured you would. The very next sentence, Deb. The bait (laughs) was a musky secretion taken from the beaver's glands. Uh It was used straight or doctored with other odorous substances I see. in which the trapper believed in. Odorous. He called it, quote, medicine castorium mm-hmm. or the like, and he carried it in a plugged horn bottle at his belt, and it occasionally perfumed him as well. I'll bet he was the hit <laughs> at a party. Well, they all smelled the same. Yeah. You know. So, again, selecting the proper place for his trap, he set it in the water of the proper depth and drove a strong, dry trap pole through the ring at the end of a five-foot steel chain into the bank or the bed of the stream. And this was to keep the beaver from dragging the trap. And this trap weighed like five pounds. Yeah. So it was a heavy trap. I didn't want him to drag it out on the ground and into the air. And if he did, he might escape by actually gnawing off his paw. Oh, my goodness. They would actually do that. So normally they uh, drowned uh, because the trap would hold them down. So these traps are in the water. Right. What would keep the – did they have to replace those quite a bit because they would rust up? Well, I don't don't think so because they're down in the water and I, I don't know. Uh, if I maybe, stuck maybe you in the water for I that drowned. long, you'd rust up too. <laughs> I suppose they they may have used uh, uh, tallow from animals or something, maybe to keep them greased up, and I see. so they'd work, you know, because they had to snap shut just yeah. right. Yeah. But when every pre- preparation had been made, the trapper smeared a little hiv of his castorium on a twig or a willow, and he arched this just above the surface, directly over the trap's trigger. You know, the little thing that they step on. The, yeah. You know. Yeah. So the scent attracted the beaver. And when he approached the bait stick, he was caught by the foot. There you That's go. That's how it happened. There you go. Now, 
all of this was uh, subject to a bunch of different methods. They, different trappers had different ways of doing things. They didn't all do it the same way. Now, keep in mind that this was all conducted in the winter, and a man uh, had to be pretty much, uh, uh, you know, dedicated to this. I mean, he waded into the stream uh, at a good distance from the selected place, carrying the already set trap. It was already set. So he's carrying it. Because you couldn't set it if you're out in the street. Well, yeah. And, I mean, if that thing slams shut, whereabouts on his body is he carrying? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So he found a place. He baited it. And then he waited a distance uh, before leaving the stream. And then he splashed water over his own trail just so the beaver couldn't smell his trail. Really? So it was quite a process. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest. But let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh. (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Now, normally the traps are raised at sunrise or before. A full-grown beaver weighs 30 to 60 pounds. Can you believe 60 pounds? I didn't know they were that big. I didn't either. But the pelt uh, weighed only maybe a pound and a half or two pounds when it was finally prepared out of a 60-pound uh, beaver. So the catch was usually skinned on the spot, and the trapper, who usually had five or six traps, he would take the pelt and the medicine glands so that he could make more of his castorium. And this is interesting. I thought camp was never in the same place two nights straight. He would move around, and I don't know if that was just to avoid uh, too much of the scent, you know? I, okay. I don't know. So anyway, he usually took the tail, too, because it was considered a delicacy when it was charred in the fire to remove the horny skin and then boiled. Now, that sounds really good to oh, me. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, with a little, uh, uh, you know. What are you doing for lunch? <laughs> not that. <laughs> so at camp, the pelt had to be what they call rough cured. So the flesh side was scraped free of tissue and sinew, and then the hide was stretched on a frame of willows, kind of like uh, kind of like an embroidery hoop, and it was in the sun for a couple of days. When it was dried, it was folded with the fur inside and marked with the trappers or the company's symbol. You know, if it was with the Rocky Mountain Fur Company or the American Fur Company, they would mark it with their mark, whatever that was. Okay. Now, when the packs were made, they were pressed into bales of about 100 pounds, and this was done at the different posts by machines made for that purpose. Oh, they had machines for They that? actually had a machine that would press these down into 100-pound bales wow. of beaver skins. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was somehow it was a contraption of logs and stones, and somehow they figured out how to press these so that they were compact, I guess, hmm. which made it easier to haul them, you know, to the rendezvous or, or back east, wherever they were going. So did they use it on pack mules or? Uh, well, that's how they would pack them, you know, pack to the up. rendezvous yeah. and then, of course, back east. Okay. So they had to be careful with the catch with the beaver because uh, this was an individual responsibility and it involved keeping the pelts dry, drying them promptly if they got wet, always safeguarding them on the trail because you never knew when you might get attacked. Uh, at lower altitudes, they had to be periodically beaten and aired out. Uh, periodically beaten? Yeah, because of moths. Now, I'd never thought of a moth being a problem down in the lower al- altitudes. 
Now, in the mountains, you didn't have that problem. Mm. There weren't any moss up there. Okay. Well, trapping was complicated by high water during the spring hunt, which produced the best furs. That's when they really wanted to be out there. Spring or fall, it was conducted in the water of the mountain streams. And the mountain man's occupational disease was, you know, we've talked about this, rheumatism. And, you know, they're in this cold water for hours at a time. Uh, His joints creaked, kind of like ours. And he will be seen at dawn limbering his legs and arms at the fire, trying to get warmed up. Uh, The water got colder as the days shortened. Uh, Before the end of September, there would be a little snow in the mountains and in the meadows. It's it's surprising they all didn't get pneumonia and die. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, pretty soon there was our ice forming on the edges of the streams. And they're standing in the water. they're standing in there. With moccasins on. Yeah. And trapping, you know, and they'd go clear into early November. So, you know, if it was a year like this year here for us, you know, they might not be too bad. But even right now, if you go stood in the creek. You go stand in the creek. (laughs) It would be cold. (laughs) I'll tell you what. I know the Snake River is cold. Oh, my. So, but a mountain man's life was skill. He not only worked in the wilderness, he also lived there. And he did so from sunup to sundown. And He had to be skilled at what he did. I wonder how they learned the process. I think from other trappers. Yeah, but where did they learn it from? Good question. Well, the Indians did a lot of trapping. uh, Well, killing of beavers. So they knew how to take care of the the skins. So, But when you think about the danger, besides the skill, uh, and you mentioned about how you find places. Well, uh, here's a question. Why do you follow the ridges into or out of unfamiliar country? Follow a ridge so you can see yeah. where you're going. Yeah. What do you do for a companion who's collapsed because uh, uh, he, he just collapsed out in the desert or up in the mountains? What do you do for him? You know, yeah. do you leave him. Do you try to help him? And maybe you get in trouble too. You bring up a good point though, because back in those days, if they were with other trappers, and let's say a broken leg or a right. bear attack or whatever, it was kind of all over, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, you remember the story of Hugh Grant? Absolutely. Glass. You yeah. know, they left him. Figured they left he was going to die. Yeah. So how do you get meat when you find yourself without gunpowder in a country with no game? Oh boy. Maybe they're out of gunpowder. What tribe of Indians made this trail that you're walking on? How many are in the band? Uh, what errand were they on? And where are they going or coming? And how far from home are they? These are all things you got to think about. What mood were those Indians in? Were they on a uh, raid? Were they uh, just after food? You know, how old is the trail? And where are those Indians now? Yeah. You know, all these things have to come into play. Wow. So here's something to think about. You're standing in a stream and a branch floats down a stream. Okay. Is this natural or the work of animals? Or of Indians, or of other trappers. So somebody is in the water. Somebody upstream. Upstream, yeah. yeah. Another branch, or uh, a bush, or even a pebble is out of place. Why is it out of place? Mm. You know? You had to really be watchful. They, they, yeah, you know. Um, so what may have been movement uh, did, the me, did the men or animal uh, make it? You yeah. know? And if it was an animal, why? Is that animal moving? Is it being scared by... Indians, you know, m- buffalo are moving downwind, and elk is in an unlikely place or posture. Little things. You well, know. you wanted to make sure you didn't drink the water if there was something no, upstream. upstream. <laughs> Look at this. Too many magpies are hollering, or, or, or hollering, too many magpies. 
Okay. Uh, a wolf's howl is a little off key. Yeah. What does that mean? It means he's got a sore throat. <laughs> it means, uh, yeah, you better be careful. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this may be a two-week uh, story, Zeb, uh, but as the snow and the game came farther down the mountainsides, the trappers got ready for winter. Now, free trappers were welcome at the different posts, like over here at Fort Hall. Mm-hmm. Some of them would spend the winter there, or Fort Bridger, some of the forts. Was that the place to take most of the furs? Uh, they did that, yes, but the rendezvous were probably the most popular place. Like over by Preston. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah Pierre's Hole and some yeah. of those places. Um, so sometimes the post had a place where you could stay inside out of the weather. Uh, you had supplies, you had a store of food, uh, and you had cooperation because if you were staying there, you'd go out with other guys and hunt for, for meat, you know, elk and deer and uh, things like that. And and then companionship, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you were by yourself, it could be a pretty lonely winter, you know. And thus, you know, a lot of mountain men did marry Indian wives, mm-hmm. which uh, in many cases turned out very, very good for these Indian women because some of these trappers became very wealthy and uh, the Indian women were well-kept and, and it was a good thing in a lot of cases. But the commoner practice of free trappers uh, and the custom of the company brigades, however, was to winter in the mountains. Now, not you say the, the company, like the Rocky Mountain Fur right. Company. Yeah, the American Fur What did they pay these trappers to do all the work? Uh, they got a pay, but I think they also were paid by how productive they were. How, how many beaver Kind skins. of a commission type thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's why a lot of them actually became free trappers, because they figured they could make more money uh, being a free trapper and selling their own furs for whatever they could get. I see. So... You know, if you were with a group of trappers, uh, free trappers uh, or a company, you had to find a good place for a good campsite. Uh, it had to have some kind of mild weather, uh, plenty of wood and forage and abundant game, uh, you know, sometimes in a good sheltered valley uh, with streams where you could get water, obviously, uh, preferably with wintering buffalo. And I'd never thought of that uh, with forested mountains where other game could be found. Now, the Rocky Mountain Fur Company and the American Fur Company wintered in such places along the Salmon River and Bear River over in Cache Valley, over there in Utah, mm-hmm. they, which wouldn't be too bad over there in Cache Valley. Uh, a place called Browns Hole and South Park became a kind of winter paradise. And both of those are in Colorado, which probably is a little milder weather yeah. down there in Colorado. One question I got, and I know we're almost out of time. What did these guys eat? Whatever they could find. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, was it basically a protein meat diet? Pretty much. Was yeah. it? Yeah. And I think we'll continue this next week because I'll talk about uh, the food that was prepared uh, by the Indian women, uh, which actually included some sort of kind of vegetable uh, type salad things. Were they accepted by the Indians or hated by the Indians? Uh, it depends on the tribe. You know, there were a lot of them. They would camp close together. Really? The trappers and certain Because I would tribe. think the Indians would feel that the white men were taking something away from them. Um, maybe if there was too many of them. But I think in many cases, there's probably not more than a dozen men. I see. And uh, so, but, you know, uh, Jim Bridger, uh, of course, built his trading post over on Black's Fork in the southwest corner of Wyoming, you know, Fort Bridger, uh, in a basin in, where he had wintered with the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. And like I say, these valleys had gentler weather than the higher altitudes and the lower plains. So, 
I'll tell you what, we're going to continue this next week, right? Yeah, I, there's some more things I'd like to cover on this. So we'll, we'll keep going on this. I want to talk about, uh, how they worked with the Indians and. And you said that right here in this area, there was a heavy trapping area, right? I, I wouldn't say heavy, not as well as up, uh, more into the Rockies, up further north. I see. Uh, you know, up around, uh, uh, Henry's Lake, Island Park area, uh, Wyoming, Montana. But yeah, there were beaver here. Really? In, in the Snake River area. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to continue to be continued. Yes. Very good. Dr. History, of course. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.